What's the crack? Welcome back to the Irish Voice. Today we're going to be talking about Manchester United's performance against Burnley. That was a really bad impression. I knew it was a bad impression when it was leaving my mouth, but I couldn't stop it coming. Ah well, we'll move past it now. Yeah, United versus Burnley. Three points on the board. Let them all talk about performances and stuff. It's three points. There has to be a bit of optimism there. It's, it's not a loss. It's a win. Was it glamorous? No. Was it sexy? Definitely not. But it was practical and it worked. And there were signs of something there. Minimal signs. Probably clutching at straws actually with that one. But I'm going to clutch at those straws. And I'm going to tell you about the straws that I'm going to clutch to. And then you can tell me if you agree you disagree. So first off, I think one of the positives was that he has moved the formation back to the 4-2-3-1. And he's done what I really wanted him to do, which is play a two holding midfielders. Scott McTominay played him with Casemiro. Do I think that is a good midfield? No, because of one person. But we're not going to dig him out because I don't think that he did poorly. I think he did exactly what he does. And he did what he does well. And what he does is not good enough to play for our football club. But do you know what? He's a means to an end at the minute. So it is what it is. But the two holding midfielders worked in a sense that Burnley got through once. I think in um, in the game, and that was the the Amdouni chance, and I don't think that was all the midfield's fault. Even though people would argue and say the space was in there, and the pundits certainly argued that through the game and after the game. Um, Ali McQuaid, by the way, can I just say this? I really enjoy Ali McQuaid as a pundit. I really, really like and rate Ali McQuaid as a pundit, but he graded me last night. So many times he was alluding to how poor Manchester United were. Burnley were in the ascendancy. Burnley were this. And so many pundits at the minute are quick to turn around and throw shade on Manchester United. And then when they're discussing Chelsea, they'll say that, oh, Chelsea are a team in transition. Chelsea have had a tumultuous year last year. Chelsea need to be given time. Pochettino needs to be given time. Okay. We'll argue he's in his first season. That's fine. Grant. Graham Potter was a failing. You mucked up there. Okay. Ericsson Hag wasn't given this last year. When we went through the same start last year, you were calling for his head. Ali McQuaist last night, trying to throw the pressure onto Ericsson Hag when he's going through a difficult situation. We all know the external forces around it. I'm not going to go into the external forces. That's a different conversation, but he really annoyed me last night. I expected more from Ali. I expect more from Ali moving forward. But yeah, I think Manchester United, if we look at the formation and we look at the 4-2-3-1... The biggest issue that I have is that defence. It's the defence. It's the the four defenders that really shouldn't be starting, all starting in a Premier League game. Now, yes, it's Burnley. Do I think Burnley are going to be in trouble this year? Yes, 110%. I said it in the Wolves game. I think only Wolves will have the lack of composure, lack of skill, lack of talent, and um, lack of experience in the dugout and on the pitch to compete with those three teams that came up for the relegation spots. I think it's between those four. You always get a shock. You always get a surprise in there. I don't think it's going to be Everton this year. Um, So I think Burnley are in trouble. We made them look good last night. People will have watched that game, especially our rivals, and they'll throw it at you today. They'll turn around and they'll say it probably next week when we all discuss it and work in those domains and forums and places that we like to discuss our football, even amongst family members who don't support the same team. They'll turn around and say, well, Burnley were the better side. Burnley had more chances. Burnley had more possession of the ball. 
you guys look poor and if it wasn't for the magical left-footed pass of Johnny Evans and the absolutely brilliant talents of Bruno Fernandes, it either would have been a draw or you would have lost. Or Mdini's goal hits the inside of the post instead of the outside of the post and you would have lost. Yeah, for a comment, but we didn't, did we? We didn't. So, for all the stuff that we've had to suffer this season, the injuries, the stuff off the pitch, the lack of luck on the pitch, do you know what, lads? We'll take this one. We beat Burnley. 1-0. Fine. Job done. Three points. Who cares if it wasn't glamorous? Job done. Three points on the board. Stop the rut. We move on. Next game. But... Let's talk about this one and the bright sparks that I've seen in the Burnley game. Yes, we had problems. Yes, their midfield. I tell you, one of the most dominant statistic games. And you're going to think I'm biased for bringing this up, but because he's an Irishman. But here, you have to praise your own. Half the praise your own. The most accurate passes of midfielder, Josh Cullen. Josh Cullen almost made twice the accurate passes of anybody else in the midfield in the Burnley game. He was spraying the ball about that midfield. He was getting the ball forward. He was working with Brownhill and working with Ramsey to try and break Manchester United down. Now, I think, bar the um, do any chance, we we did well. I think we weren't bad, especially when, and you have to bring, as the pundits love to do with other teams, we'll bring the circumstances into it. Johnny Evans and Victor Lindelof do not start as centre-backs for us. That is Johnny Evans' first game for Manchester United. And I tell you what, again... Going to cling to one of our... I think it was brilliant. I think Johnny Evans was really, really self-assured, very composed, and willing to muck in and defend quite... He defended quite well. Where he annoyed me is... We'll go back to the Amduni chance because it's the one where you can really see the frailties in that defence and the midfield. Casemiro and Scott McTominay don't pick him up because he's the forward at the end of the day. Victor Lindelof and Evans, who I think looked a bit apprehensive and stuff, especially at the start of the game. Especially at the start of the game. If you watch it back, guys, they dropped five yards. If you have Varane and Martinez, they press the space. They're proactive. They're really reassured in their own talents and their own abilities to catch anybody that gets in behind them. But when you have Johnny Evans and Victor Lindelof, who don't have that cohesion, who don't have that understanding, who don't, not just with each other, but with their midfield players, there's going to be space because they're going to drop. Your instant reaction as a centre-back is to drop a yard when you see a fast-paced player coming onto the ball or you see somebody breaking through the lines. Now, in the modern game, if you don't press the space between the midfield and the defenders, that's where I'm doing gets in. Because there's free open space there. Ramsey can occupy that space. He can get in there. He brings the ball out to Amdouni. Amdouni goes and he strikes the post. Coley Osho was brilliant at that, I think, in the first half. You know, he was coming into the space. He was exposing the space that Casemiro, Fernandez, and Dallow were leaving him behind and getting on the ball. Now, Dallow defended him brilliantly, I think, um, for the bits and pieces that he played on that left-hand side. And Rahulian definitely had a decent game up against them as well. But you look at the passing game from Burnley, Burnley of all sides, and how easy it was to get in that space at Manchester United and get in behind us. That's a worry. That's a concern. Definitely is. But we're going to downgrade that worry and that concern that the statistical analysis showed after the football match. Oh, look how easy we are to pass against. Look how easy we are to get the ball in behind. You're talking about Evans, Lindelof, Dallow, Rahulian, McTominay. Casemiro is the only person in that six that starts. And has Casemiro had a good start to the season? No. No, we've all seen it. But look at the dross that's playing around him. Even when they're good, they're not at the standard the Manchester United aspire to. Johnny Evans came in last night 
Johnny Evans is a brilliant game. And I really, really, really like Johnny Evans to the point where I would say Manchester United made a massive, massive mistake letting Johnny Evans go. He should, never should have been allowed to leave at that time. And when you see the likes of Harry Maguire who come in, it was nowhere near the standard that Evans was performing at. It's just, it's a funny one, whatever happened to Johnny Evans and why he wasn't kept. But to my original point, because I didn't rant in a wee bit there, um, Johnny Evans outshone Victor Lindelof. Johnny Evans outshone performances from Harry Maguire. Johnny Evans made himself look like a good backup defender. And that shouldn't be happening. Not when you have an £80 million defender who's an England international and a Swedish international who I believe at times captains that Swedish team playing there. I mean, the plaudits of those two players do not grant them a space in the Manchester United squad for me. I think if Ericsson Hag could have replaced them in the summer, if he didn't have the restrictions of balance in the books and the Glazernomics and stuff that went on, I think Ericsson Hag would have replaced both of those players because I don't think he sees either of them as good enough. Victor Lindelof has really good traits. He's very composed on the ball. He's very good at passing. He's very good at bringing the ball out. All good things. If you look at the tell goal against Bayern Munich, he's so easily bullied. He is so easily bullied. He is so easy to displace and pass off the ball. He's so easy to manoeuvre. And Tal moved him brilliantly to score that goal because Lindelof just isn't a physical defender, which he kind of need to be to an extent in the Premier League. So I think that a lot of our problems are coming from that makeshift defence. And that makeshift defence's inability to cope with the pressures of playing against top opposition. Now Burnley... I'm going to be fair to the Burnley fans. You're not top opposition. You weren't. I think Vincent Company is a cracking coach. I think you've got something there. I really do. And I would love to see you do well because you're only up the road. I don't really see you. I lived in Manchester guys for a couple of years. Not really seen Burnley as a major rival. You know, they're kind of just, I don't know, visitors when they pop down to Manchester. So I don't mind Burnley doing well under Vincent Company, but keep playing as naively as you did last night and you are going to get beat. And if we were able to beat you with the squad that we had out, then you would have to worry for yourselves because that's not our team. So we'll wait and see. If you look at the football again last night, from defence to midfield, a lot of the possession that we did have, and it was at a minimum for large periods, um, embarrassingly enough as that was, but here. I think you look at Victor Lindelof and Johnny Evans, Scott McTominay and Casemiro, and I made this reference before. Manchester United would have one of the best netball teams that you're ever going to see in the country of England if they decided to take that on. It would definitely be a retirement exercise for Lindelof, Evans, McTominay, Casemiro, Christian Eriksen could win there. He plays it absolutely brilliant. What what I mean is, we have this insane defence mechanism when we're playing football and we're not playing particularly well, where they slow the entire game down and they keep possession of the ball and the statistics make it look as if we're doing all right but they're doing absolutely nothing with it Casemiro passes the ball back to Johnny Evans who has a wee look forward decides there's no option there and passes it across to Victor Lindelof Lindelof has a wee look forward they start to close Johnny Evans down as an avenue but Scott is free so he hits it to Scott Scott then stands has a wee look around decides that nobody's free up front or he doesn't feel comfortable playing the pass up front and gives it back to Casemiro and round and round in a really boring cycle, this goes. Sometimes it gets spread out wide. Sometimes Mary Godlove came in and tried to take the ball and run with the ball. Now, he's not the standard that it takes to run against Burnley with the ball, but he at least tried. It was different. 
it was not the statuesque if I have the ball I'm not allowed to move routine that Manchester United sometimes are guilty of playing and if you're taking in the in the modern game not just in the Premier League in any league if you are taking two or three seconds out of the ball too long it should be quick moving quick passing moving the ball down the field the only team good enough technically to do that is Man City because Man City have some of the best technical players in the world if you are Casemiro McTominay Evans and Lindelof you just need to fizz the ball down to the more technically gifted players as quickly as possible. But it was—it's almost as if those players who are only coming into the team—and I'm not—it sounds like I'm really digging them out, but I'm not because they're playing within their own capabilities. I'm not angry at Johnny Evans, Victor Lindelof, Casemiro, or Scott McTominay for playing that way. Do I like seeing it? No, I don't think any of you listening would tell me that you like seeing it unless you support another team if there's scousers listening to this you're probably sitting going yeah i fucking love it yep definitely play that all day long because you're going nowhere that is what those lads are capable of scott mctominy's not going to fizz the ball around the pitch or play a quick passing game that's not his game what scott does and what scott does brilliantly especially for scotland is he's brilliant at charging forward and getting into the box making a nuisance of himself and getting around and being a physically imposing presence and that suits him. Casemiro is a decent technical player, but it takes top-class players around him for him to really fizz. So I'm looking forward to seeing Mount Amrabat coming back. It's not Lindelof's game. It's not Johnny Evans' game. That's not their fault. It's probably ours for not replacing them and having the standard of squad that we currently do. Maybe. Um, but yeah, like moving on from that, I think we mentioned Hannibal Mabry there. Really industrious footballer. There was something about him when he played for the youth team that I just couldn't warm to. And I think it was his his temperament. I think I looked at his temperament and I thought, no, you're a hothead and you're trying to play as a 10 or a holding midfielder, but you're clearly a 10 because you're a bit Fernandez-esque, very busy without actually being able to tackle or dispossess the ball. But you need that player as a 10. You need that player that chases the ball down just rampantly comes in and, and acts as the second presser because what Mabry is doing as a 10 is pushing from behind players who are trying to charge forward with the ball and he's pushing them into players in midfield now if you had Amrabat and Casemiro in that midfield I would argue that Mabry pushing those balls in should end up in more dispossessions and more Manchester United winning the ball back in higher places so that I think is an Ericsson Hag tactic that we are not seeing in the current squad because you don't have Amrabat there either you've got Scott could be wrong possibly but I'm excited to see the first game that I get to see that formation. I think that um, Mason Mount will occupy the 10 role. Amrabat will play behind him with Casemiro and Bruno will occupy off the right again. And that is a nice segue into what I think was... We spoke about bright sparks earlier. I've done a lot of digging out the negative football of Manchester United. Um, I've done a lot of sort of covering players who I'm not having a go at. I'm just pointing out their very limited abilities. And if anything, I'm having a go at the football club for exposing players like that to the high-pressure games and situations that they've been put in recently for them to be criticised, because it's not fair. They're just not at the standard. That's not their fault. I don't think they're not giving everything for us. They're being accused of it. I don't I don't see that. I don't agree with that statement whatsoever. I think they're giving everything. But when you see them give everything, their everything's just not good enough. And that, in my opinion, is just what it is. Nobody's going to change that. Unless we can get the backing of our owners or new owners, or but again, you're living in the land of if buts and maybe's, like, aren't you? So it is what it is at the minute. But the silver lining, I think, is that 
Manchester United have a lot of players to come back, folks, and we're going to see a lot of transition in that squad, and we're going to see a lot of talent come in that could really up our game, and I don't think it was the worst game against Burnley. So when that talent comes in, I'm excited to see it. I really, really am excited to see it. And what Manchester United look like as the finished article, playing a style of football that I think is there at the minute, just being displayed very, very poorly. The game plan is trying to be followed, but not being followed very well. Um, but you can see shades of what they're trying to do in training. And yeah, I said about it segueing into one of the brighter sparks. So one of the brighter sparks I took from that game is that Marcus Rashford and Rasmus Hovland, it looked shocking. It looked so disjointed and it looked, I don't know, far away from being the finished article. But it was, there was an effort. There was a, an, not an understanding, I would say, but there was a... A joint effort between two men who wanted it to work, who wanted to make it look good, who tried to find each other. And Marcus Rashford is criticised all the time for his decision-making. Partially, I agree with that, I would have to say. I really like Marcus Rashford as a footballer. I think he suffers from a bit of heroism in Manchester United in that he's had to do too much for too long when we've had no one else to call upon. So now he's stuck in this mould of he has to be the hero in every game. So he tries really, really hard to do it and sometimes fails miserably and then we all get on his back. So, But last night he tried to find Rasmus Hoivland and Rasmus Hoivland tried to find him and Bruno Fernandes was involved in that as well. And from what I seen last night in the flickers of it against Burnley, it didn't work, but I seen a trident up there that could really, really work. I think Bruno Fernandes off the right, Marcus Rashford off the left and Hoivland up front is definitely worth a few starts. Definitely. Um, it's definitely a, a tactic that I would keep trying to employ and see what those guys can come up with. Because it takes time. You know, is it frustrating to watch in the Burnley game? Yes, it was frustrating. It didn't come off at all. They must have tried five, six times. We flicks to each other. We passes. And it just wasn't there. There was no telepathy. Um, Mar- Marcus Rashford had a brilliant relationship for a long time with Anthony Marshall until Marshall kept breaking down. In the sense that the two lads were able to find each other. They were able to find each other in these pockets of space and quickly pass through defences and make wee runs and jinx. And it looked brilliant. But they never got a sustained run together. And that relationship, that took years to build. Years. Marshall was at the football club a couple of years before we really started to see the best out of Marshall and Marcus Rashford. So those three lads, Bruno and Rashford have it, but they've never had Hoyland. And Hoyland is a completely different proposition to either of those two and a completely different outlet. I'm really impressed with him. He's a big physical presence, willing to push defenders around, willing to get on the ball, willing to impose himself in the box. And you know what? He's very, very young. The gold will start flowing. Stick with that lad. Defend him. Defend him to opposition fans. Don't let anybody get at him. Protect him at all costs because I think he's going to be a star. I really, really do. And I think it can work with Rashford and Bruno. And I think when it does work, we're going to see some of the best football we've seen in a while. And that's promising. That's what we want to see. We want to believe that our football club can hit the heights again. And I think through those three, we might have a chance. We might have a chance of doing something. I do think, though, they're not going to do it on their own. I think those three will only truly shine when we see Mount, Amrabat and Casemiro introduced as well. Now, Mabry, I think, is... A very good option to 10 for certain games because he's so busy and he sprints everywhere and he looks so willing to work for the team and that's an Eric Ten Hag player. That is what Ten Hag wants. He wants the best heat maps, the best runs, the best sprints, the best efforts in the Premier League. Can Mount do that? 
I think he can. I think Mike Namrabat will add a whole new energy to Manchester United that could be revolutionary. Really could. It could be what we expect from an Erickton Hag team. But we need to see it implemented and we need it. We need to see it for a sustained run of games. If we see this formation and you're listening to me and you're agreeing with me and it doesn't work for one game, hold a sense of realism to it, guys. Hold a, a bit of pragmatism and look and go, right, that was one game. These sorts of chemistries and these sorts of bonds and relationships between players and the best teams, they take time. One of the best teams I have ever seen is Man City, but a lot of those Man City players have been together for quite some time. And when a new one gets introduced, it's a singular entity coming into an already brilliant collective. And that's the big difference. It's not wholesale changes. It's not Amrabat and Mount being put into midfield so we've got two new parts to a trio. It's Rodri being introduced to what was one of the best midfields in the Premier League. Kevin De Bruyne and Gondwin. You know, it was just... He's brilliant at that, Pep Guardiola. He's brilliant at bringing one player in that completely changes it. Guardiola. I think Guardiola completely brings a new element to Man City's defence. You're talking about a man that took Schwao Cancelo... Banned him, exiled him, tied Walker down to a new contract who's already been there, already knows what it is to be part of that collective. Cancelo couldn't integrate himself into that. So he shipped Cancelo. He said, no, not having it. You're a brilliant footballer, but you don't suit the group. Away you go, pack your bags, I'm going to sign somebody else. My new signing is Guardiola, the Croatian. Cracking player. Unbelievably good footballer. And coming into a team that's just won the treble. That's that's how it's done. That's masterful. That is shades of what the likes of Real Madrid used to do and add a really shiny, masterful collector's piece to an already established and polished squad. And that's why they've won the amount of Champions Leagues that they have because they were brilliant at it for years. Pep Guardiola has built something similar at Man City, which is absolutely sickening. But for Ten Hag to do the same, it's going to take years. Years. Man City's Champions League success took nine years. Manchester United are going to have to wait and bide their time with Eric Ten Hag. And we can't be sensationalist and reactionist. We can, and we're entitled to, but we need to calm the expectations with it as well. You're allowed to react, shout and scream, vent, leave comments, throw your opinions at me, tell me I'm wrong for my analysis against Burnley. That's what I love about football. That's the whole reason I'm doing this podcast. I absolutely love the opinions that were granted through the medium of football. I think it's just part of the reason why we call it the beautiful game. We all have our own thoughts and feelings. We're all very, very different. And through this podcast, you're going to see the thoughts, opinions and feelings of a few family members of mine and a few friends of mine who are diehard Manchester United fans. Diehard. And through those, we're going to try and build a sense of community with a lot of different views and a lot of different opinions. And we're going to see just what that's like, what it is like to have certain expectations of Manchester United, different opinions of Manchester United, and get all your thoughts and opinions because I really want to hear from you guys. I really want to hear what you think of Manchester United's performance against Burnley. What do you think of Manchester United's chances moving forwards? Do you think Manchester United are going to succeed or fail this season? That is entirely what this is about. Hopefully positive and a positive community that just has United's best interests moving forward because I think there's a lot of negativity around us but spells like this never last. It's not It's not the end. It's not the end of an era. It's not 
anything that we need to hit the panic button over yet. There are things going on in the background that we don't know about that I think could change the ownership, which has been a real negative detractor. And on the pitch, I'm quietly optimistic. But give us a like. Give us a follow. If you're liking what you're hearing, we'll have much more coming up. Um, We're planning to do, like I said on the last one, um, profiling of Manchester United's current positions, 1-11, to and their squad of 23. And we'll get Shane in. And Shane will... Go through it with me and you'll get to see two very different United fans who have very different opinions on players. So, yeah, that could be a bit chaotic, actually. It could take, um, could take a while to actually put that one out there, but we'll see how we get on. So, yes, look, one takeaway from this. Burnley was not a magnificent performance, but hold a bit of enthusiasm about the way that Manchester United tried to go about that. It's three points. It's not a loss. It's onwards and upwards for Manchester United. So until next time, enjoy yourselves. And if you're fellow Manchester United fans, just try and respect the other person's opinion and get along. Some of us are optimistic. I know some of you are beaten down. Just don't be a prick. Until next time.